Welcome to Summer Kairos, everyone. It is so good to be with you. My name is Danny. I'm excited to bring the message tonight in our first week in a brand new series called Asking for a Friend. We put this question out to you all, uh, either over Instagram, through messages. We asked, what are the questions that you wish you could ask in church, but maybe you don't want to ask them? We've all got questions that we want to ask, but we're a little bit shy about asking them. So we posed it like this. Hey, I'm just asking for a friend, but fill in the blank. I remember I was a journalism major in college, and one of our professors used to tell us, he said, you're going to be a reporter, and as a reporter, you're going to ask questions a lot. And some of those questions you won't want to ask. And that's when you'll be tempted to start to pose questions as if you're asking them on behalf of someone else. It goes like this. There's a reporter who's talking to an athlete about their performance in the fourth quarter. And this reporter knows that they wrote about that athlete and said, well, this person can't perform in the fourth quarter. They always drop it at the end of the game. They, they just really struggle in, in those clutch moments. That reporter knows they have to ask these questions. So the reporter then walks up to the athlete and says, so, you know, some people out there say that you don't perform in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, what would you say to those people? Just, just asking for them. But that also happens in our relationships too, right? Maybe it's a family member or a friend who does something and it bothers you, but you don't really want to get in their face about it, so you go in a roundabout way of asking the question. You walk out to them and you say, look, I've had some people tell me, people have just come up, they told me that, that what you're doing is bothering them, so I'm just asking for a friend, really asking for me, but just asking for a friend. What do you have to say about that? Can you stop? I'm sure my friends would appreciate it. We ask in roundabout ways. We ask for a friend. That's what we do when we have these questions that we really want to ask. Do you remember when we were in middle school and, uh, and, and how people would ask each other out back then? You wouldn't go and face that person face to face. People asked each other out through a friend. Hey, my friend is wondering, would you go out with this person? Or maybe way worse, it was, hey, my friend wants to tell you they're breaking up with you. A lot more crushing. Maybe you can relate to this one. Uh, in your building, there's someone who's caught your eye wherever you live. You know, that person that you started to get interested in them, but you don't know how to strike up the conversation, but you know, like, which door in the building is theirs. You don't want to go up and knock on it because you don't want to have to face that awkwardness, but you really want to ask him a question, but you got to go in a roundabout way of asking it. So, I mean, you live on the first floor, they live on the third floor, but you adjust your route anyway. Why not? A little more exercise, some stairs in the morning, it would probably help. So you get, to, you get ready to go in the morning. You're thinking maybe they're leaving at this time. So you know that their door's right there. You start to walk past and you're thinking they're going to walk out. They're going to walk out. They're going to, nope. Okay, didn't happen. I'll just back up. We'll try, we'll try it again. Okay, going to walk out, going to walk. Uh, not yet. And then finally, maybe like the third or fourth time, they happen to walk out when you walk out. And you're like, oh, what are the chances? Huh? What are the chances? Hey, anyway, uh, just asking for a friend. What are you doing for the rest of your life? Just asking for a friend. There are these questions that we really want to ask, and we don't always want to ask them so directly. What are the questions that you have for God? What are the questions that spark up in your mind when you're spending time in a church setting, like Kairos? What are the questions that you have when you're meeting with your friends, and, and maybe you're, you have a friend who you know, knows so much about the Bible, and knows so much about God, you want to ask, but maybe you're a little embarrassed to ask it. You're shy because you're wondering what might people think. The Bible tells you this about how you can approach God with your questions. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he, he talks about a door. He talks about a door where God, you can find God. And he says, keep on asking. 
Keep on going to that door. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. So many of us, we walk up to doors and we want what's on the other side of it and, and we just kind of tap and, and oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have. And Jesus says, no, I want you to knock on my door and I don't want you to be bashful about it. Jesus is saying, I, wa I want you to talk. God wants you to ask those questions. God wants you to connect with him. God wants you to pray. But prayer, that, that's one of those things, right? That's one of those things that maybe we want to ask about. Maybe we want to ask at a very elementary level, like, how do I pray? How do I pray? But, you know, that's something that we're supposed to have, you know, at the beginning of our faith journey. Like, maybe, like, if for you in Sunday school, like, you were supposed to have it figured out then. Maybe you're new to faith and you've never prayed before and you're like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. What am I supposed to do? But you wouldn't want to ask that around other Christians because, I mean, prayer, that's supposed to be a basic common thing that happens in your life. And yet we don't really want to ask about it because, you know, I was supposed to have that figured out a long time ago. Don't you know, it's, it's totally okay to ask about prayer. And I invite you to ask about it because the more that you ask about it, the more you'll find out about it. And the deeper you can dive into this wonderful gift that God has given us called prayer. So let's ask that question tonight. How do I pray? How do we pray? Well, I can tell you sometimes the way that we pray is very bashful, right? I mean, it's the just kind of tap on a door just barely. You ever been in a group where you're, you're meeting, you're studying the Bible, you're in a group, you're talking about God, and, and they go around, they're like, all right, so who wants to open us up in a word of prayer? I remember when I was a kid, they'd, they'd do that, you know, in, in like the youth group or something, and no one would raise their hand. You get a little bit older in the youth group, still, no one's raising their hand. I went to seminary. After college, uh, I'm in seminary with all these different people um, who are studying to be pastors. And the professor opens up the class and says, all right, so who wants to pray us in? Nobody raised their hand. We're bashful about it. Uh, we're worried about what would happen if we do it wrong. And so we hold back. Maybe uh, we're concerned that something like this might happen. Take a look. Well, that ends our Bible study. Who would like to close us in prayer? No one. I think Christian wants to pray. I do. Yes. No, no, I don't want to. Yeah, Christian, don't you want to pray? No, not today. Uh, what do you mean you don't want to pray, Christian? Christian, why don't you want to pray? I just don't want to. You're too good to pray, Christian? Why don't you want to pray to our Lord? I just don't want to, okay? about eight years ago and about eight inches of hair ago, um, but and I, I really don't know what the point of was that I was trying to make when I made that video with my co-counselor, Elizabeth, and the high school students that we had that week at a Bible camp, um, but I do think that in a very, very exaggerated way, that kind of shows the way that we approach prayer sometimes, like we're scared. We're scared. We, we just don't want to do it, and maybe it feels like someone's forcing you to do it sometimes. It's like, oh man, I, I was supposed to pray for 10 minutes today, and I didn't do it. 
I don't want to, I don't want to admit that to anybody. You ever notice sometimes people are asking, hey, how's your prayer life? I wonder how many people are actually honest about that. You know, people ask, hey, how's your prayer life? We know the Christian answer is supposed to be like, oh, my prayer life is great. I'm always in it. I, me and God, we're just connecting. And deep down, we know like, oh, man, I just, I'm feeling disconnected from God lately. I don't know if I know how to pray. I want to say that's all right. You're not alone in it. Jesus' disciples, they wanted to know how to pray. They wanted to figure out how they could dive into it deeper, how they could understand it better. And so they asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. How do I pray? These are Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples, they followed him everywhere. These are the closest people to Jesus on earth. And they're asking, how do I pray? It's okay if we ask, how do I pray? Because we have these misconceptions about prayer. Sometimes with prayer, we think, okay, well, prayer is just something, you know, it's approaching a door. And on the other side of the door, there is something that I want, right? So on the other side of the door, for us, sometimes we think, well, on the other side of the door of prayer, if I could get there, it would be this wish list of all these different things that I have in my life. So you, know, you count them off, like I pray for one, I pray for two, I pray for three. All these different things. This is my wish list of things that I want to pray for. And perhaps if I pray right, this door would be open to me, and then I could finally walk through, grab what I want, leave, and then come again, grab what I want, leave, and then come again, grab what I want, leave. But the problem, there's just this door that's in the way. And it feels like if I knew how to pray better, then the door would be open to me. But it seems not. So, so how can I just, how can I just correctly approach this door and just maybe tap in the right way and then God would open it. I could grab my stuff and I'd leave him alone, right? I don't know if that's the way that the disciples were framing the question, but maybe that's the way that we frame the question sometimes. Lord, teach us how to pray. Will you please teach us how to pray? How do I pray? And maybe you're a person who's given up on prayer. Maybe you're a person who says, well, I never pray. But the truth is, I think that the unique thing about prayer is how universal it is. We all pray. Like, we all get to a place of prayer sometimes. There was an old theologian who put it this way. He said, listen, if you want to know what's in your basement, surprise it. What he meant, I think, when he said that was, we pray when we're really bothered. We pray when something catches us off guard because prayer reveals to us the origin of our hearts. Prayer reveals to us the basement of our souls. There's this, you know, kind of Christian cliche that goes around and, and I, th I think it's probably kind of snotty, um, but it, it does eventually, I think, point to a truth. And, and it's said like this, it's, there are no atheists in foxholes. And like I said, I, I think that's kind of a snotty thing to say. But what it's, I think, I think underneath of it, what they're trying to say is that when we're desperate, we realize we're human, we realize we're vulnerable, and, and we pray. We pray. The old author, Mark Twain, who we talked about throughout his life, how you know, he doubted the existence of God and um, wasn't buying into that. But then he said, suddenly when his wife got sick, he, in his words, he said, I prayed like a dog. I always prayed. We pray when we are surprised in the basement of our soul of what's happening there. And maybe you're saying, okay, so you pray when you're desperate. You pray when you're out of control. That, that's not natural. There's nothing natural about that. Oh, no, no, there's nothing unnatural about that. Because if you want to know what's really in your basement, you surprise it. If you want to know what's really in your soul, get to those moments when we know that we're out of control. See, to pray is to be human. 
I know there's a lot of philosophy out there that tells us, like, you know, you got to just create your own reality and control your own reality, but that doesn't make you human. That makes you much more of an evil dictator. I will control this. I will create this, and everybody will be according to my will. No, I think when we're much more human, we realize we're vulnerable, and we call out to something. We need something. So, yeah, it's when we surprise the basement of our soul. When I was in seminary, we had a cat, my roommates and I. This cat's name was Nala. There's Nala, cute little cat. I was never a cat person in my entire life. And then I met Nala, and she had these cute little paws, and you can kind of just barely see it in that picture there. Like, she had a mutation so that, like, she had thumbs in her paws. And so, like, sometimes she would actually eat her food. She'd pick up food individually and just, which is so creepy, so weird. But it's what she did. Now, I really appreciated Nala for a lot of reasons because we lived in this house and I lived in the basement and I thought the house was fine. I thought the basement was fine. Until one day I go downstairs and I see that Nala has a snake in her paw and she's holding it with her thumb in her paw. And I never knew that the snakes were down there. But that's because when I would go down in the basement, it'd be thud, 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 and the snakes would... I don't even like the thought of it. They'd slither right on away. Oh, but Nala, she's sneaky. Sneaky little cat. She'd stay down there, and she could surprise the snakes and then murder them. But she could surprise the snakes, and she could catch the snakes. And, and then we eventually found out from our landlord that there was a snake den underneath our driveway. But that's you know, beyond the point. But, but we weren't figuring that out because we weren't surprising the basement. Oh, you want to know what's in the basement of your soul? You surprise it. You realize that you're vulnerable. You realize that you're human. To pray in desperate times, it's not unnatural. It's, it's to be human. And so Jesus says, let, let me teach you how to pray. When you're in those moments, let me teach you how to pray. So Jesus says this. This is in Luke chapter 11, and, and, and he starts telling a story. They say, how, how do we pray? And, and Jesus teaches with a story. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at, at midnight. That's crazy. Now, now, back in those days, midnight was not necessarily like midnight for us. For us, midnight is like when we go to sleep, or maybe it's just when your night is getting started. I don't know. But back in those days, in the days of no electricity, like midnight was midnight. It, day was over. You are well into your sleep. It is pitch dark outside. But this neighbor's awake. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, Jesus says. So suppose you went to your friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You go up to that door. Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. So the neighbor walks up to his, his sleeping neighbor and the sleeping family. And Jesus says, and that neighbor goes up and starts going, hey! Now imagine if you're the homeowner. Well, it says in here, the homeowner's like, excuse me, my family and I, we are sleeping for the night. What are you doing? And then the crazy part about this is that the neighbor who's come over and is banging on the door doesn't even have an emergency. It's not like, hey, help us out. Our house is on fire. Hey, help us out. I'm hurt. No, it is, hey, I'm trying to have a party with my friends. Just knock away. Jesus says, I want you to pray like that. It says on the next slide here in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, if you keep on knocking long enough, you just keep on knocking long enough, your neighbor will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Pray shamelessly, Jesus says. And this is like 
This is mind-blowing to the people who are hearing that. How disrespectful. How audacious. I mean, Jesus is telling us to pray like a horrible neighbor with no social boundaries whatsoever. You want us to pray like that to the holy God? This is what you want us to do? Jesus says, yeah. Go ahead. Pray like that. Pray shamelessly. And it says this in the next verse, and it just reminds us, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. How many of us approach God in just this ginger way, like, oh, you know, I, I, I see just a little bit of what's on that other side there, and I, I don't know, I, I want to get in there, but, but I, I've got to do this in the right way. And Jesus says, look, you want to know the secrets of prayer? Be shameless. And maybe we hear that and we're like, huh, okay, well, that sounds like a very unhealthy relationship. That sounds completely ridiculous because that sounds like someone who just approaches God, screams at God, God's holy, and then God finally just, you know, kind of cold-heartedly says, okay, fine, insensitively, I'll give you what I want just to send you away. But, but keep in mind here, the disciples ask, how do, how do we pray? Remember some of your literature classes, and maybe they told you this, that there's a difference between a parable and an allegory. Jesus is responding with a parable here. They say, how do we pray? A parable tells one point. An allegory tells you a story, and every single point of the story relates to a truth. But a parable is just supposed to say one point. And this one point in this parable, Jesus is simply saying, this is how you pray. It's not telling us how God responds. It's not saying, oh, well, God just insensitively responds to things, just wants to send you away. No, it is simply, this is how you are to pray. But he does get into how God responds. Because there's only one way to make sense of how we could possibly approach God as this rude neighbor with no boundaries. It's this idea that we have certain access to God that, frankly, no one should have. But we have it because of the way that God sees us and what God calls us. The answer to this is just before this, when Jesus tells this story, they say, Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus responds with an example of prayer. And he starts with this word, Father. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And the first word is, Father. The only way to make sense of praying like a rude neighbor with no boundaries whatsoever and still believing that God is going to answer and love you and care for you and respond is if you believe that you're God's kid. It says this in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, To all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. There's this new kind of access. You are in God's family. And so you approach God like a child. The only way to make sense out of how you can approach God, the holy God, like an obnoxious neighbor is if you believe you're his child. I mean, think about how children talk to their parents. They talk with shameless persistence. Mom, 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 dad, 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 hey, hey. Ch children are the only ones with the audacity to tug on a sleeve and still trust that their parents are going to love them. It's just what you have to do, right? I mean, think about how we approach the doors of people that we don't really know that well. 
Like maybe you're knocking on a door and you're assigned to go to this place and, and you're like, okay, well, I just have to do this. And you should... They didn't really hear it, you know, but oh, maybe they're not home. You just walk away. But I remember when I was a kid, when I'd get home from school, I'd go up to our front door. We had a doorbell. Just ding, 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 smack, 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 ding, 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 ding. It's the way that we knew that it was family at the door. It's completely shameless about it. And then when we had one of those garage pads, I just typed in on that, opened the door. Hello, I'm here. It's shameless. And Jesus says, I want you to walk up to God. I want you to talk to God. I want you to pray like that. Because you're his child. And because you have that kind of access. As a child of God, you've got kind of access that nobody else can possibly have without being a child of God. Now, God does say, I want all people to be my children. It's very important to remember that. But think about that. God's not saying here, like, and God does compare himself to all sorts of different ways and how he relates to us. He's a spouse. He's a friend. Um, all these different things. But in this way, when it comes to prayer, he says, no, 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 I'm your parent. Because, like, think about the things that a child gets to ask their parent that not even a spouse gets to ask. I'm, I'm like, imagining, right? Like, if my dad woke up in the middle of the night and he looks over at my mom, he's like, hey, hey Sally, uh could really use a cup of water right now. And maybe my mom would just understandingly say, do you need, do you need something? Are, are you sick? Is something wrong? He said, no. And my, my dad, knowing that that would not be a respectful thing to do with my mom, no, he wouldn't even ask that. He would simply get up and go out and get the cup of water for himself and come back and try not to wake her up. But whew, when I was a kid, bust the door open. I'm taking over the bed tonight, mom and dad. Check it out. Lay in bed sideways. They're on the floor by the end of the night. I wake up. Oh, I'm feeling so good. Because children have that kind of access that nobody else in the world has. And Jesus says, you get that kind of access to your father in heaven. And he will respond to you like a parent. He will respond to you like a parent. He says this in Luke chapter 11, after he's told the first part of this parable, he goes into kind of a new parable to now explain how Jesus will, how God will respond to his people. He says, listen, fathers, you know this. If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. No, parents know better than that. They know how to handle their children. They know how to, they know how to handle their requests. Because here's the thing about children. They don't just ask for things boldly and shamelessly and persistently and knock like crazy on that door. They also ask trustingly. And Jesus, I believe, is telling us, I don't want you just to pray boldly, just to pray shamelessly. Yes, please do that. But also pray trustingly. See, here's the thing. You can see in this verse here, in these two verses, it tells us like there will be things that we ask for that we don't get back. Like, what's on your list behind this door? What are the things that you want? One of the really harsh realities, one of the really harsh reminders in this passage about prayer is that there are things on our wish list that we will not get. And don't misunderstand me. Just because I'm calling it a wish list does not mean that it is superficial. Mark Twain prayed for his wife's health. It's not superficial just because it's a wish list. Sometimes it's, it's our wish because we're thinking, this is what I so deeply desire and there's nothing I can do to fix it on my own. It doesn't mean that it's superficial. 
And that's when it really hurts, when I've got one, two, and three. Oh, God, I just want to come here and grab these things so I can have them in my life. Please. One of the really harsh realities of prayer is there are things that we will ask for that we don't get back, that we don't have. And maybe tonight you're asking that question, you know, I prayed for a loved one to be healed and they didn't get healed. Your loved one, the reason why they haven't been healed is not because you prayed wrong. It's not because you didn't do something right. And in fact, I don't know why we don't always get what we ask for in our prayers. I don't know. And I think that sometimes Christians, we start to put pat answers on things. We say, oh, well, you just need to pray bigger. You just need to have more faith. You just need to be bolder about this. You just need to, you know, you just need to trust more. You just need to ask more. There's no formula to it. Just be shameless. Just be a child. Because what we get out of prayer, it, it's not about you. In the same way that as a child, it's not about you that makes you a child of your parent. I mean, think about it like this. Sometimes so many of us, we are approaching prayer like God is our employer instead of our parent. We approach God and we know that the door is shut. And so we're thinking, okay, well, I'm going to look really nice today. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to do the right things. And then therefore, I deserve my wages, so pay me back. And no wonder sometimes our prayer life gets unhealthy because we see the things that we're not getting. We're thinking, I did a good thing. I'm a good Christian. What's wrong? Why am I not getting the things that I'm praying for? Why aren't you doing this, God? But God's not an employer. Thank goodness God's not an employer. Because that means that even if I'm awful, even if I've messed up, even if I haven't lived up to what I promised you, what I committed to, I can still approach God like a child and say, you still love me. I can still look up at God, my parent, and say, you still love me. I still get to talk to you. I still get to tug on your sleeve. I still trust that you love me. And, and, and look, the fact of the matter is some of us have unlearned that trust of a parent, haven't we? Because maybe for you, like, you couldn't go up to the parent and ask for something until, you know, you had earned the grade, until you had made them proud. But God says, you are my child before you've even made him proud. God's proud of you before you could make him proud of you. Because God's adopted you. Let God reteach you about trust. And what's adoption? Adoption's not a change of behavior. Adoption is a change of status based on what a parent has done, not what we've done. How many times is it that we hear Christians say something along the lines of, well, you know, I wasn't a Christian in the past because, you know, I was thinking the wrong things. And I wasn't a Christian in the past because I was living in the wrong ways. Here's a newsflash to us. We still think all sorts of wrong things. We still live in all sorts of wrong ways. It's not about us. God knew you were his child before you knew he was your... Let me say that again. God knew you were his child before you knew you were his child. God's the one who claimed you. We don't claim God because God's not an employer. God is a parent. 
So we don't have to gingerly approach God and wonder, like, am I presentable? Is, is how I've lived going to determine, you know, what, what, what I'm going to get out of this? God says, whatever the case is, whatever the situation is, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, wherever you're going, come to me boldly. Come to me shamelessly. And here's the thing. God always opens the door. When you knock, when you, when the parent hears the child knocking, the door is always open. We've gotten in this habit of saying, well, God answered that prayer only when we got what we wanted. Do not misunderstand this. God answers every prayer. He doesn't always answer the way that we want. But God hears every prayer and God answers every prayer. He's always listening to the, for the voices of his children. I don't know why we don't get some of the things that we pray for. I don't think it's because of the formula. What I do know is this, that when I was a kid and I'd ask my parents for things, I'd have a wish list. And they didn't always give me the things on my wish list. But for my parents, you know, like, they had all sorts of dreams for me too. You know, like there's my wish list and, and then there's my parents' dreams. Maybe for them, they're like, well, I've got like one big thing that I want for my kid. And, and then the details, you know, those are the numbers around. Like, the, you know, those are the things, like the, the, the rest is just details. You know, if I could just get them all these different things and, and, you know, all that stuff, you know, like all that, you know, it'd be great. And I know that while my parents didn't give me everything on my wish list, they would have done everything in their power to have their dreams for me come true. Of course, they're human, so they can't do absolutely everything to make all of this happen. But in an even more perfect way, an infinitely more perfect way, you see, God has a, God has a dream for your life, and God has a purpose for your life. And for him, it, it is one big thing. It's not a list of things. It, it's one big thing. And there are all sorts of things that go into this one big thing, but, but the thing that God really wants you to know is him. And everything that comes along with him. His love, his joy, his peace. He wants you to have that, and God does not say, okay, well, I want you to just come to me. I want you to grab the stuff, and then you can apply it to your life, and I'll just say, thank you, come again. God says, thank you for coming. I, I want you to come in. This is a much better way of life, I think. not having to continually as the wish lists and dreams and goals that sometimes we make for ourselves fall to the ground. How much better is it when we actually just get to go in the house with God? We don't just, you know, come every now and then, pick up the things that we need and then get refueled. Come no, no, God says, come in and know me. Jesus knows that we have imperfect relationships in this world and that parents sometimes let us down, but he says, let me reteach you trust. And he finishes this parable with this. He says, you know, 
you're, you're good parents because, you know, when, you, when, you're, when your kids ask for eggs, you don't give them a scorpion. But how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? He doesn't say, thank you, come again. He says, thank you, come in. You're my child. You're my family. You belong here. And maybe not every single thing on your wish list will come true, but God is and will accomplish. He is accomplishing and he will accomplish his purpose for your life. Just to know him and to help others know him. And we do that through prayer. And here's the beautiful thing about it. God does not let you in and then throw you out. You know, God does not throw you in the lake if you pray incorrectly or if you don't do it right. He doesn't humiliate you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he proves that you can trust him. So go to him. Go to him when you're desperate and you'll show that you're human. But go to him continually and stay here with him. And you will remember that you're a child of God. How do I pray? Like a child, God's child. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Wherever you are, um, know that the same Holy Spirit that's in this room that we love to meet in, in our Ames campus, is the same Holy Spirit that's with you. And that's why God can say to all people, come, come in. Come in the door. Because he's everywhere. He, he transcends space and time. He, he's there. So the God that I'm praying to is the God that you're praying to. And the God that I'm with here is the God you're with. It's the God who brings everything back together. Let's go to him like a child and trust him. Lord, thank you for being a perfect parent. Thank you for welcoming our ridiculous requests. And thank you for caring so much for our most heartfelt requests. God, when we come to you, teach us not to be um, shy. Give us the boldness to bang on your door and demand that we be let in. To have the audacity to tug on your sleeve and to know that you'll respond to us. And God, when we don't get the things that we pray for, remind us, we do have you. And we do still have this unbelievable title, child of God. God, I do pray for peace and gifts for everyone who can hear my voice right now. I pray for all of that. But more than anything, I pray that we would come to know you so that we wouldn't be shy around you, so that we wouldn't be nervous around you, so that we wouldn't be worried about what we've done or where we think we're going or what we think we could do that might ruin the way that you look at us. Teach us not to fear that because we're your children. So regardless of what's happened, we still bang on your door knowing that you'll answer. 
and knowing that you will treat us like your children. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and it's because you loved us first as your children. Amen.